Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 130. Does your company have a plan for growing an internal Python community? What are the attributes to look for when bringing someone new into your department? This week on the show, Pablo Galindo Salgado returns to talk about the Python Guild within Bloomberg and managing the release of Python 3.11. Pablo describes how the Python Guild started and currently operates inside Bloomberg. We talk about how it fosters community and acts as a way to promote internally developed tools with disparate teams. We also discuss how workgroups use it to find new internal candidates for their teams. Pablo talks about his role as release manager for Python 3.10 and 3.11. He shares the intense journey the team has had this year, preparing for the release of 3.11. He details updating testing strategies to work with the new specializing adaptive interpreter. This episode is sponsored by Platform SH. Discover an alternative to DIY for your web fleet and all the stacks it contains on a single stable platform. Find us at platform.sh. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Pablo. Welcome back on the show. Hey, thank you very much for inviting me again. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. It's awesome. We were just recently talking about Memray, and I had a whole bunch of additional questions I wanted to ask you, and then instead of making it like a two-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I don't know I don't know if people will survive that. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe we could break it apart a little bit. And so one of the things I wanted to ask about that actually came up in this Bloomberg blog post that was about Memray, mm -hmm. uh, with, there was a mentioning of an internal, what was called a Python guild inside of Bloomberg. And then I thought that was really fascinating. And maybe you could tell me a little bit about, about that. And is it still going on? Yeah, it is. Uh, actually, it's, a, it's kind of part of a bigger program that we have called the Guild program. So the idea here is that when you have like a big company, I mean, we are not as big as maybe Google or, or Amazon or Microsoft, but we, we are quite big. Like we have a thing at this time, around 8,000 developers and even more people in other departments. Right, right. And and what happened here is that, you know, you, you have big departments, like, and most of the, the biggest, like, more broader distinction is that you have what is called the people that do uh, infrastructure, so software infrastructure, and then you have people that develop for actual clients and, you know, do things that people are, are actually going to use that is normally called application developers. Okay. Oh, and what happens when you have a big enough company is that these two groups start to not communicate a lot between themselves. So what happens is that maybe the people doing infrastructure are starting to do tools and things like that, that uh, maybe they are a bit not aligned with the things that the people in application actually need. And the other way around, maybe what happens is that, like, I'm going to say we because I mean software infrastructure, but uh, the software infrastructure people, they develop a bunch of solutions that actually could help the people in application, but they don't know about them. Right. You got to sort of uh, evangelize them to them. 
Right. And it's, it's quite hard, man. Like, uh, I mean, uh, this, this is surprisingly complicated problem because when you, when you are like such a big company, and especially Bloomberg is kind of, uh, I mean, I suppose not that right, but like Bloomberg is a bit like a, <laughs> a lot of little startups together because what happens is that every single team in the company is kind of free to do whatever they want. So we have common infrastructure so and we have common tools like many big companies, we even have our own version of the C++ libraries and things like that. So there's C++ standard libraries. Like I think every single big company has this for whatever reason. But like the, what happens is that every team can do whatever they want. They can use the provided tools if they think they are good enough or they want an easy integrated experience. But if they think they know better or they want to develop a bespoke solution for whatever, they are free to do so. They can choose their code style. They can choose to use or not the tools. Hmm. It's just that if they don't choose the tools that the infrastructure provides, they are on their own. They are, you know, they need to support whatever they do. Yeah, and in that regard, they can use whatever languages they would like. We don't support Rust in the sense that we don't have a team in software infrastructure that cares about Rust. Right. But people can do Rust if they want. People have using every single language. Like, so we have code in Camel, Haskell. It's just that if you use one of these languages, then you're a bit on your own. So we, we have this situation when like, you know, teams are super different from one another. So communicating these changes, like, okay, we, we did this tool or we have this solution or we would like you to, you know, use this thing is very, very hard. That evangelization that you mentioned it turns out that it was a very hard problem. And moving knowledge from the infrastructure teams to the application teams, it was a hard, hard problem, right? Because like knowledge was not being moved. People were like, you know, not using the solutions that a lot of people are paying a lot of money to develop. Right. So what happened is that they say, okay, we are going to create this this thing called the, the Champs program. And that was kind of a bit of the how the guilds started or one of the versions. And the idea here is that that there is like representatives between infrastructure teams that will communicate these changes to a bunch of people that are the champs. And the champs are basically people from different teams in application teams that will represent the teams themselves. So that's the, the way the communication went. So, so these representatives go to these meetings when we talk about everything that is new or changes or things that we are going to remove. And the idea is that they will tell the teams, right? And that worked really, really well. So at that time, they started to work really, really well. But also we started seeing that there was this kind of also sense of community there, right? So so it was a bit abstract, but we we saw that maybe there was a third kind of actor in this model. So it was not only infrastructure people and application people, but it was kind of uh, missing something that that this kind of chance program was hinting, which is the, the community factor. And the idea here is that, you know, maybe all these people doing all these other things like, you know, Rust and C++ or Python or whatever, maybe they can actually, you know, talk in a way that is not just the things that infrastructure wants and the things that the teams need and whatnot. Maybe there is also like things outside that scope and like, you know, people can talk about that. So maybe there is talks about, okay, so should you do, um, you know, test-driven development or should you do, should you use PyTest, right? So for instance, from infrastructure, we don't force you to use PyTest. So we are not going to write anything about PyTest because you can do whatever. We don't have anything to say about that. But maybe there is a lot of people inside 
the company that think, oh, actually, this is a very important thing and we should talk about PyTest more and we would like everyone in Bloomberg to do it, but not in a, you know, formal infrastructure versus application kind of way. So the idea of the, the Guild program that started long ago is that there is, so guilds are basically these groups of people that will talk about a given domain. So for instance, at Bloomberg right now, we have a lot of them. There is the Python guild, but there is also the testing guild. There is the infrastructure guild, and there is uh, the machine learning guild and a bunch of others, right? And the idea here is that these guilds kind of gather together all the people that care about a specific topic, so for instance, Python, but talk about the all the community things. So it's not about like, you know, what is supported and what is not supported and things like that. It's about like how we would like to use Python in the company. And that will take into account, you know, every single thing, like, like uh, oh, how we think we should do testing. So it's, it's very similar to like an open source community, but inside the company. And it feels like that actually, because the, the conversations are all the place and it's not just centered on like, oh, we support this, we don't support this, or we are going to develop this or not. Like for instance, and the guild is not only about discussing, it's also about like doing tools. So for instance, uh, sometimes, you know, there is people saying, okay, yeah, we have this tool that, you know, infrastructure is providing us. So we have a bunch of middleware tools. Sure. And it will be super cool to have something like, uh, it will automatically generate types for, for this, right? If you want to type annotate your code, it will automatically generate types once you give the schema for a given middleware, right? So from infrastructure, we say, we don't really care about that. Uh, we are not going to generate this. We are not interested to support that, but it's fine. But maybe the guild says, oh, actually there's a lot of people that want this, so let's coordinate all of us to create what is called, uh, in kind of fancy words, an inner source repo. So it's a repo that is not owned by any team in particular. It's owned by every everyone together. Huh. And let's develop together this solution. And actually what happened is that a lot of people want that and not only start you know, using it, but also start developing from different teams. Uh, so you have now this weird model, which was new at the time, when a lot of people are actually, you know, developing code in a way that is not just centered on the specific needs of that team and is developed from many different teams with many different reasons. It's, it's like open source, but inside the company. Yeah, sounds super collaborative and in kind of a neat way that people can ask specific questions and it's like kind of a different methodology of it would be people at all these different skill levels but they're all have a common goal inside this main company that's that's neat right and and the interesting thing about this thing here as well is that uh, it's, it's not only about code it's like for instance uh, the the guild members go to conferences like the, there's a lot of people that go to pycon or or you know europython and things like that and then they came back and they will talk to everyone about like what they saw in those conferences and we have for instance mentoring as well like there is people that want to say oh i want to you know i, I want to learn more about python and i want to get involved a bit more on how python is made at bloomberg and you know there is like a mentoring program when when people teach you about things and you work together with people that are more experienced than you and i think this is key because you know uh, going a bit deeper on on kind of big company culture. Like one of the things that, that is, is important is like, how do you grow technically on your role? Specifically, you don't want to jump into a management role, right? So how do you grow if you are in a technical path? So a lot of companies have this idea of, uh, so you are now like, a, I don't know, different companies have different names for things, right? Like fellow engineer or like the staff engineer and whatever. Um, yeah. 
what happens normally is that the, the, the higher you go in these technical ladders, kind of you, you need to have impact like bigger scope of impact. So at the beginning, maybe it's only your team, but then it's your team and your department, and then it's the whole company, and then it's like the company and also outside the company. So, you know, you are giving a good name to the company. And, you know, what happens is that locating these these opportunities to have impact outside your team is, is actually not that easy because at the end of the day, you are paid to do your job and your job normally happens within your team. Right. So it's quite difficult to say, okay, so how can I do my job and actually do something you know, that has also impact outside my team. Not only is hard to locate those opportunities, but also, you know, it's hard to do it in the in your time. Like it feels like you need to work even more hours to do that, right? So so that we don't like that. So so the guild program what allows people as well is to spend company time. So it's not like you need to work more. It's actually part of your normal work hours once you are part of the guild. Uh, normally it's like 20% of your time or something like that. So you can use that time to work on these community programs so to develop these common tools. And this is very cool because these tools are used by the whole company. So, so this is a very good way to have an impact that is outside your team. So it allows you to do this technical growth. Uh, not only that, but also it will allow you to work very close together with people that are not in your team. So not only you can, you know, at the end of the day in your team, there will be like super cool engineers, but this will allow you to work with more people and more focus on what you like. Maybe your team, you know, does a bit of Python or, but not all the Python that you will like. And there is no Python experts on your team. So you will say, oh, I cannot grow as much as I wanted because, you know, my team does Python, but it's not the, you know, I don't know, hardcore Python that I would like to know. Or, yeah, I was thinking about like somebody who's doing you know, data visualizations for, you know, reports or something like that. And obviously there's going to be different people that are, right. that we're just using Excel. Like we talk about that often on the show. Um, right. And they're like, I would like to, you know, automate some of the things I do and, you know, get into like reporting in that way. I, I could see somebody like that saying, I've heard about this thing called Python. And is, is that a common like potential member of the guild? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There is actually there is a whole department at Bloomberg that are people that use Excel. Uh, this is called uh, it's not engineering. It's called global data. Okay. So it's people that do now they do a lot of Jupiter, but uh, most people started doing just Excel, and I'm sure they still do a lot of Excel. And they're actually outside engineering, and uh, but they have a lot of engineering needs because at the end of the day they have a lot of Python questions that people that are doing software engineering also have. So so these people actually are are also very good candidates for the guild because they can learn about all these Python things, but also they can they can contact people that are at the same level as them, but a higher level as them. And and you know the idea is that you will put together people with the same interests but different levels. So so you know there is a lot of cross pollination. So it's not about only learning from you know, people that can teach you different things, but it's also about like knowing, you know, expanding your network, but also kind of learning about other things that people are doing. Maybe you start, you know, collaborating with someone on this tool that you like, but then you you like to work with them and then you're interested to say, okay, what, what this person does. And it turns out that you're interested now on, on their team. And then you say, oh, maybe I want to join their team in the future. And that is good, right? Because like... Yeah, that's good inside of an organization. Exactly. Because many people will say, oh man, I, I hate my team or my manager is not good or whatever, right? You you may not be happy. Uh, many people think about, oh, I will leave the company, right? Because like, I don't know, I'm not happy here. Um, and that is not in the... I mean, 
is a good option. I'm not saying that it's a bad option by any means. Right. It has advantages, but... It's potentially really bad for the company, though. I mean, like... Well, for the company, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Especially if you spend a lot of time, you know... Just the onboarding, the hiring, the, exactly. everything. And, yeah, yeah. And in general, you know, especially there's a lot of knowledge loss and, and network loss. So, so for the company, it's a bad thing. And in general, for a lot of people... Living may be a good thing, but for a lot of people, living may not be that a good decision, right? Because you may think that you are... Like, every time you join a new team, it's a bit of a gamble. Because, sure, you are running away from this problem, but not, nobody is telling you that that problem is not going to be in the next place, right? Sure. So, at the end of the day, moving inside the company is not like the you know the, the final solution or the silver bullet, but it has advantages because you can know exactly how that thing works before joining it, which you cannot do normally from outside yeah, or at least not to the same extent. So, so in this case, it's a good way to you know, allow people to work together with other people and learn what they are doing. So, you know, you can say, okay, maybe you are not happy in your team, so join this team. And actually, for instance, as an example, Python infrastructure, which is the team I'm, uh, I work on, most of the people that are in the team actually came from the guild. Because what happened is that we started the team, I think, four years or five years ago uh, at Bloomberg. It's kind of a weird team because we have people in San Francisco and, and London and New York is one of the first fully distributed teams that the company has in the sense that we all work on the same things, but we are across locations. Hey, you really distributed. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it was a bit of an experiment. I think a successful one. <laughs> well, I would like to say that, to think that it's a successful one. Yeah. But, uh, and what happened is that uh, we start to kind of hire people from the guild because we saw these individuals that were super excited about Python and were helping the community. So there is people that, for instance, in the internal chats, they were solving questions for people, right? And then we saw, wow, this person knows a lot of Python. They really like Python. We are like-minded. We think that, you know, maybe we want to give them the opportunity to have a bigger impact and work on the actual hard problems, not only on the community side, but also like to drive literally the language inside. So most of the people that we have in the team have been either in the guild or, or leaders of the guild or uh, or different positions. Uh, we can go into detail about like how the guild is structured inside. But one of the things that I want to finish on this uh, on this particular topic is that it's also a very good way to highlight people inside the company, right? Like, you know, yeah. Uh, sometimes it sounds a bit silly, but for instance, sometimes we have been hiring and then we say, okay, we want someone who is very good at Python, but who also kind of has these other qualities that our team has, uh, how can we find them? And it's sometimes it's very hard in a big company because like you, you don't, maybe you are biased towards the people you know, that is bad, or you don't, you, you're missing a lot of people because, you know, like uh, you need to be conscious all, not only about the bias that you have because of who you are and how you think, but also the, the network bias, like, Okay, so you only consider people that you know, but in a big company that may be a big error. So these these guilds are super great because they they will highlight a lot of individuals that otherwise will not have been put in the spot like uh, enough. It will give a lot of opportunities for people to be noticed to move to teams that are closer to the things that they like. Platform SH provides the cloud-based solution you need which allows you to manage, update, and optimize your website and or online application fleet with our secure, unified, enterprise-grade platform. Designed for effective building, running, and scaling of web applications, 
We are the leader in web fleet management. Are you ready to join the Platform SH community and optimize your fleet operations? There's no time like the present. Find us at platform.sh. One of the things I think about with that is a, a common refrain that I I kind of see often is the culture for you know computer science generally is like, oh my God, you gotta like prepare for interviews and so forth. And you have to like know that they're gonna ask you all these specific things and so forth. And I don't know, like, yes, there are positions that are very much like that. And yes, you need to know what you want, but often things happen internally inside of an organization. But in order for that to happen, it would be nice to like know the people that are eager to learn, that are interested in learning new things, that are passionate in like improving their skills. And, and someone who seeks out something like that, they see, oh, hey, there's this thing called the Python Guild, and I've heard about Python, I want to learn more about it. They join it, you see the spark in them. That's like such an immediate thing. Like, oh my gosh, this person can do this thing, is interested in it, and and they don't, maybe that, you know, they don't have all the skills, but they're at least in lear- interested in learning them. Well, and that, that I cannot put enough emphasis on how important that is. Like, yeah, I, I think the eagerness. That, right, no, 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 <laughs> you know? indeed, indeed. It's, it's, a, it's a, such an important resource. I, I think a lot of people, I mean, uh, I talk with a lot of people and in, in the CPython team and in Bloomberg, I mentor a lot of people uh, that want to be, you know, in the CPython team that they want to eventually be core developers. Um, a bunch of the new core developers has been people that I have been mentoring over these years. I mean, not only, not exclusively, <laughs> but, yeah, sure. but I have a bunch of pins there and at Bloomberg the same. And, and one of the topics that happen a lot in these conversations with the mentees is that there is this idea of like they elevate certain people to incredible like you know pedestals when they say wow these persons are super smart I wish I could be as smart as as these people right right and and what happened is that because maybe you know maybe they admire them or maybe they uh, these people have created something that you know is very popular and and they think that is you know oh this is a genius I will I will hope I could create this right and the reality of the situation is that none of these people like really are special in any way right like okay they are very talented people and like very smart people but this is not something that okay you are talented and smart uh, actually what happened is that these people have put a lot of effort on learning the things and skills and have submerged themselves into the topics in such a way and with enough passion that they have reached these levels. And also there is a bunch of luck involved that is also important to understand. Right, timing, all that stuff, yeah. But the most important thing here and what will put you in those positions that you want to be if you admire these people uh, faster is the eagerness to learn, yeah. right? And, and and the excitement. Like, this is such an important thing, uh, like, in open source and in companies. And in companies, I will say it's even more important. Like, I will prefer one million times a person who, you know, like, knows almost nothing about uh, Python, but, but is eager to learn, is excited, it absorbs information fast, he kind of like knows what he wants to do and like, you know, brings this energy to the to learning and to the job that a person that is, as, as you know, a super expert, but you know, yeah. it's kind of like a, 
meh. Because, because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's important. How do you steer that person, you know? It's like, it's so yeah, frustrating. Yeah, and, and also, yeah. This, 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 I mean, uh, this happens to me a lot. I'm a, you know, I'm a very energetic person. Even I mean, I'm quite introvert in real life, but like uh, when I'm across people that uh, I'm comfortable with, I'm, I'm very energetic, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, sometimes I'm like, for instance, we come from this episode talking about membrane. So when I had the first prototype about membrane, I, I came to one of our meetings that we have and I was like super excited about this right and I was wow look at this and at the time it was just a prototype it was just printing a bunch of things and you know it was objectively not that cool <laughs> I mean right. maybe, maybe if you are very into memory profilers you will say that it was cool but like it's not the kind of thing that you will show to your friend and it will say yeah. wow man this is awesome they will say Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, like like music, like the same thing. Like you know, if you know another guitarist and you trust them at a certain level, and you like can play them, like a, you know, a couple parts of a song, you know, it's like something that you, if you were to play it to your family, they're going to be like, okay, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, You're like, no, this thing is so cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good comparison, actually. So, so one thing that happened is that people in my team were super excited about that, and they reacted like, you know, like you, you know, these videos when, when uh, some of them are on stage, actually, but like some of the videos when magicians go to the to the street and they do street magic, and people like are crazy, right? They say, how did you do that? Ah, oh, they start running, right, and they're like shouting, so right. uh, you know. Maybe some of them are fake, but like some of them are genuine. So, so like that, right? Like when people react like that and say, "Wow, this is awesome!" And this gives you like the, the energy that this will give you. Like when when people in your team or people in your company or whatever, you know, not only recognize your work, but they are excited about what you do. Yeah, and not exactly what you do, but also you could be excited about what they do, or excited about a project, or excited about an idea, or or to learn something like that thing. Is such an important resource. Like, uh, really, really, I cannot put enough emphasis. If someone is listening to us and they say, "Oh, look, um, you know, I, I know a bit of Python, but like, you know, I'm not like X or Y or like, you know, how can I? Right. Uh, what can I do to learn more? So there's a bunch of things that you can do. Like, find people that you you enjoy and you like, and you know, find topics that you enjoy. But like, especially if you're joining teams or you're starting to work together, like bringing energy to the thing is such an important thing and especially uh, with juniors uh, and people that are starting in companies and and you know to start working with people at companies like the, the bringing energy to and uh, you know to to the team is probably more important than bring, bringing technical expertise because you know we we have a lot of people that join companies think like you know being super confident and, and you know they are super smart people and that is super useful like yeah you know and companies are not going to say no to that but those people actually don't tend to be as successful by whatever metric you like normally as people that maybe they started knowing much less, but they, they are super enthusiastic and they are super eager to learn. Because, you know, myself included when I was younger, one of the things that happened is that it's very easy to be, I wouldn't say arrogant, but like a bit less. When you, when you think that you know a lot, it's, it's, it's much harder to absorb information because if you if you need to absorb a lot of information implicitly you need to admit that you don't know that much right so and that is very difficult to admit if your 
your kind of uh, persona <laughs> is, oh, I yeah. know a lot of Python. It's right? the, the cup is full already kind of thing. It's exactly. Like, so, where's so, that knowledge going to go? <laughs> so it's going to end uh, up exactly, on the floor. Exactly. And, and it kind of, especially when you are young, it gives you a lot of insecurity because if, if you know, people in general like to see you as the Python expert, uh, it kind of like uh, puts you in a position when you are the expert and it's very uncomfortable to say, oh, I don't know this, right? But then you're missing so many you know, so many things and, and, and so many, like, I, I love, man, I, I not only love to be wrong, I mean, on cases that it doesn't matter, obviously, if I, right. <laughs> if, if it's going to cost my company a lot of money, um, that is not the best place. But like, I, you know, I, I love to be wrong on things that I'm very confident about because this means that there is, there is aspects of the things that I like and love and have spent a lot of time working that I'm going to learn. I, I get new. And that is such a great experience. Like uh, from the, I'm a, my background is physics and, and mathematics. And one of the, the biggest, like the sensations that I love the most in life is when a concept, a mathematical or physical concept clicks in your mind, right? Like you struggle a bit with something, it could be anything. It could be, I don't know, uh, the dual vector space or like uh, the way the guitar interface work and like, high impedance <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and when it clicks, when you finally understand the thing, like it's like a, it's such a beautiful sensation. Like I love it. And 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 this happens in computer science in, uh, in less, you know, maybe not that, uh, not that obviously or to a less extent, but it happens as well when you are debugging something and you say, this is impossible. This thing, cannot happen and it's happening right and when you finally understand what is going on and then you can incorporate that extra knowledge to your pool of knowledge that is such an incredible sensation and you know if you approach problems from this kind of point of view when you say oh, i'm an expert right like you're missing so many things so my yeah. that will be my best advice if you are joining a new company or you are thinking about like learning more python uh, be enthusiastic be super open to learn and be hungry to learn like that you know go closer to the people that know and just absorb as much as you can don't don't put those people in a pedestal because at the end of the day you know teachers are good because they can teach you things in a way that you can understand not because they know a lot right like and that is the important distinction so yeah. so that would be my my biggest advice and this is the thing that i think is more valuable for everyone in teams to be enthusiastic even if you're not a junior yeah, I'm I was just really impressed by that whole thing. Was intrigued by it and it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. I thought everything was going to be a little more like a like a user group or a meetup, but it sounds like a much more interesting kind of structural uh, thing that you've built inside there. It holds also meetups, right? Like for instance, meet, we do meetups, we do conferences. There is the, the structure that we have is that, especially now, we have been through a bunch of cycles over how to organize it. We started being like a member organization when you either are in the guild or you are not in the guild and we have these trials when you could enter the guild if you are good enough. Uh, that We abandoned that. Okay quick enough, I think, because not only that felt a bit, I'm missing a word here, but, you know, a bit weird, Exclusionary, right? Exclusionary. Uh, yeah, kind of, like the yeah. exclusive club, and like, we, you know, it, it was a bit weird because, like, we, we had even this, which I think it was always false, 
but nobody it's the kind of thing that nobody really knows or people just repeat and then think they are correct so so people thought that when you do your year evaluation at bloomer there was a checkbox that managers could see that says this person is in the guild uh, and and that triggers things that was always false but that was the, for whatever reason people believe that so it felt like this exclusive club that even affects your evaluation right it was so weird okay so we abandoned that no i mean it, it bootstrapped the thing so don't get me wrong it started to be okay but now we have moved to this other model when instead of having these kind of you know members and whatnot our idea is that everyone is in the guild like for that reason like there is no members of the guild what we have right now is called um i don't know the terminology right now but i think we have a uh, domain exp- no 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 it's, it's uh, ah, group leaders work group leaders that is um so so we have different work groups for instance i'm in the in the teaching work group and the education work group or whatever it's called and but they, there is also for instance the conference work group and then there is also the testing work group within the python guild and there is also for instance the internal tools and the mig- Migration, migrations work group. So there is there is people inside the guild that are interested about a specific topic. And then every single of this work group is, is has an organizer, who is not the leader, although that's the terminology right now, but it's basically an organizer. And they they are in charge of basically, you know, making the meetings happen and you know, kind of organizing a bit the work. It's not is not the leader per se because it's not like telling people what to do. It's just like, you know, the person who, and sometimes there are two or more organizers per work group. And then there is kind of the person organizing all the work groups that is called the chair. Okay. I think that's, that's our current terminology. And that person basically, you know, for instance, he does a bunch of things that are administrative of the whole group. So for, for example, for the people that have contributed in different ways to the guild, either by code or by documentation or by organizing meetings or organizing topics. For instance, there is a group talking about Python peps. So they select every week a Python pep that not necessarily one of the new ones, it may be one of the old ones. And they, they do kind of a, like a journal discussion about that. So okay. they, they talk about it. Yeah. So, so for instance, the chair, what it does is that all the people that have contributed to the guild in any way, they send an email at the end of the year to their managers to say, this person has done this thing and this thing, and it's very good because blah, blah, blah. So, so this is something that the chair does because it's kind of helping the whole structure. Yeah. And this has worked super well because this leads a lot of people to self-organize, uh, but also to, you know, like have a more close impact on the things that they really like uh, and to learn about. And, you know, you can jump from one of these works to others. You can be in many of them at the same time. And this, I think this, this has been much, much better than the original members-only structure. Yeah, yeah. That sounds cool. One of the other roles that you do in the Python community, that's kind of a huge one, is being the release manager for CPython. Right. I was kind of wondering how things are going because we had some news recently of things kind of getting pushed a little bit. <laughs> I had yep. to inform my own team inside of Real Python because we have like little things that we're planning to to do, articles and, and so forth. I had to point them to the uh, <laughs> the most recent release candidate. I'm like, oh, actually, right, right. yeah, nice. Thank you, thank you for doing that. Yeah, sure. I want to make sure you know people are aware of it. And but yeah, how's the 
released going, it, it sounds like there have been some bumps along the way over the last year. It's been uh, very stressful, I'm not going to lie. Uh, so so I, I'm technically the release manager for Python 3.10 and 3.11. You know, Gukesh before me was 3.8 and 3.9. Mm-hmm. And 3.10, I mean, you know, being release manager involves a lot of time. Like, it's kind of, I've been doing also these release streams so people can see part of what it means to be a release manager. So, so for instance, doing a Python release is a three, four hour long process kind of, it's, it's quite boring, but like, you know, it, it's complicated. But, you know, 310 in comparison with 311 was a walk in the park. Like it was sort of a straightforward, not, not really straightforward. There was a bunch of problems and, you know, it, it was a long time dedicated. But man, 311 has been such a pain. Hmm. It's been super challenging. The reason, and I don't want to be obviously disrespectful or anything, but right, but like the reason it's been such a pain here is because 311 is packing so many changes, right? Because we have uh, more people in the core team, but also now we have the faster C Python project uh, that Guido is leading yeah. in Microsoft that I'm also collaborating with them, uh, thanks to the time Bloomberg gives to me. So, so now we have a lot of people that are doing a lot of changes that these people, especially the people working, I'm working part-time on, on this, but but the people in Microsoft are working full-time on this. Yeah, yeah. So that's like big boulders of things moving in as opposed to like right. smaller items. So suddenly you have five or six core developers that are working full-time on Python, but now not only that, but they are working on fundamental parts of the interpreter, right? Like it's not that they are improving, I don't know, the email module. They are changing the guts of the thing in such a different way to how we used to work before, right? Hmm. So, so, so before, you know, there were always performance improvement between versions, and you know that has been working quite nice. And core developers have been caring about performance for a long time. This is not new, right? But now there is a lot of people that have more time and are more focused and working together towards that, right? So, so now we are also a bit more aggressive with this, which means that the in this release three eleven. Is, is packing such a d- brutal amount of changes on such <laughs> core places of the interpreter that unfortunately there is bugs. And this has been the pain for the, for the release. So the responsibility of the release manager is technically not apart from doing the kind of releases themselves, right? Uh, so that's, that's one of the most important things or one of the most you know, time-consuming parts, but the the kind of responsibility of the release manager is ensuring that the Python release is stable. Yeah. So so when when I release Python 3.11 final, I know that is as stable as possible. So I, I obviously I cannot promise that we'll have any bugs. Sure. And, you know, there's always going to be bug fixes after. Right. Right. And and you know the first release of any version is not going to be the thing that you want to run on production on day one. Although you can, for instance, at Bloomberg we are very happy to say that we run the last versions on day one or even before. And we have been doing that for since 3.9, I think. So 3.9, 3.10, and 3.11, they are going to be available to everyone on, on day one. But maybe it's not the wisest thing to do, right? Because like, you know, there is a bunch of things that maybe also there is no wheels available or whatever. Yeah. But one of the responsibilities is that, okay, as much as I can or to the best of my abilities as a person and release manager, I can ensure that Python is as stable as possible. And that ha- is very easy if there are not a lot of changes. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. but this is such a different thing. So, so for instance, we have this concept of a release blocker. A release blocker is an issue, a bug in the Python bug tracker that it blocks a release. This means that the release manager cannot release if that issue is not fixed. It's like the 
the cord they would pull in the Japanese factories. Um, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we cannot move forward. Everything's stopping. <laughs> exactly. And and the problem is that there has been so many of these. There has been when like let's say for instance that I have to do a release on Wednesday, so I have to put the release one or two weeks delayed just because one after the other, one of these big, big, big problems. And these problems are big, big problems. It's things that, you know, Python just just sec faults or it just breaks if you add two numbers. Mm. Or if you, I mean, it's never adding two numbers. That would be too easy. But, you know, it's always like weird conditions. Like, you know, you run a profile function, but then you do something, something. But like, there has been like, and, and the thing is so complicated. So for instance, to tell you about how complex these issues can be, one of the things Python 3.11 does is that it has this adaptative interpreter thing. And the, the thing this is doing is basically that, for instance, if you, if, let's imagine that you have a function that adds two numbers, right? Sure. So the first time you run the function, the actual code that Python is going to do is that you're going to, you're going to pass two Python objects and it's going to grab the first Python object and to say, what is, what is this? Oh, it's an integer. Okay, it's an integer. What is this? Oh, okay, it's another integer. Ah, I need to add them. Okay, so I need to look for the function that adds integer. Okay, it's here. And now I need to run it. Okay, I need to execute all this code. Oh, and the result is another integer. Okay, I need to create another Python object. So it's kind of like, you know, it's very slow. Because it doesn't know what you're going to pass. Instead of two integers, now you can suddenly pass two floats or one float and one integer or two classes. I don't know. You can add many things, right? Mm -hmm. But in Python 3.11, what we do is that we say, okay, normally what happens is that you have a function. If you pass two integers, you'll probably keep passing integers, right? So if a function is executed enough times with the same input types, like integers in this case, Instead of that generic addition, we will change the code of the function to do a special fast addition for integers. So in the bytecode, basically, instead of being generic add, the bytecode actually is called binary add, but let's call it generic add, we will change it on the fly to something called add for integers. And the thing about add for integers is that it won't ask to the left and right side, are you integers? And okay, let's find the integer thing. It will add integers. It will technically check that they are integers. So, you know, if you suddenly pass floats, you will not do a ground thing. Right. But that is called guarding. But it will check very quickly if you are actually keeping passing integers and it will just execute the addition super quickly. Move it on a fast path as opposed to like... Right. Okay. Exactly. So this is called quickening. Okay, so that is quite nice. And this is the adaptive part on the adaptive interpreter because it will adapt to the things that you're passing. We, we, it adapts in many ways. Like, for instance, if you keep uh, accessing the same attribute, it will automatically create a specific super fast version of get attribute and things like that. Cool, that is nice. But now you have this problem. Think about it. It's quite difficult. Get extra paths to, <laughs> to trace down. Yeah. Right, imagine that you have a bug in the fast path. This means that if you're testing the function and you're calling it only once, you will not see it because the function only activates the fast path if you call it enough times. Uh, so this means that the test suite is not checking the fast paths of many of these things. It needs to run a certain number of times to... Wanna... Exactly. So the only way to check that... So, so, so I mean, obviously the test suite is checking the fast path because we force it to in many cases, but what happens is that it's very easy to forget about some of the fast paths, right? 
or a combination of them, right? So we, we do, a, I mean, we know about this problem and we put a lot of effort in the test suite so, so the fast paths are checked. But sometimes what can happen is that we miss a combination of things. So for instance, one of the errors that people submit to us <laughs> is that if you have a class that has an attribute, let's call the attribute foo, and then you have an instance of a class, right? Okay. If you put the attribute in the instance as well, that has preference. So uh, it's just the rule how Python works. So if the instance has an attribute foo, it will you will get the attribute in the instance before the attribute in the class if they have the same name. But the bug was that if you call the, the function enough times, <laughs> when it quickens, it will get the attribute from the class. So <laughs> oh wow, okay, yeah, yeah, it was crazy because like you keep accessing the same attribute from the instance, and then when the function quickens, uh, it, it will say, "Oh, actually, the class has preference now because we we made that incorrectly," hmm. and uh, and then suddenly you are getting a, a totally different thing. Yeah, you're getting something not even initialized. Yeah, huh. right. That was such a difficult thing to, and 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 the person you know reporting this was clueless because they were like i don't know what's going on but like if i run my test suite <laughs> why they don't even know why it would even ha- think that way yeah it's like right yeah. right right they, what they were saying is that sometimes hey, when the moon is full on wednesdays <laughs> <laughs> if i run my test suite i get a failure when the werewolves are out yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like, what is going on and the failure was not you know like oh you are getting class attribute instead of instance attribute the failure was non-type doesn't have attribute but because what happened is that you were getting none, but that none was then being passed through something and that something was using something else. And at the end of the day, something expected a number and it was receiving none yeah. and then that complained. So it was such a difficult thing to track down because if you say, okay, some, this thing is receiving none, but that is impossible because the attribute of this thing is, is a number, it's not none. Set. Yeah. So, so that's, that is the kind of errors that we are dealing with right now, right? Or... You know, so so, it's, so the release is being such a complicated thing because there is a stages on the release process when I need to freeze things. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that that normally the no new <laughs> no new features you know shall pass at, at a certain point, right? That was what, right, right. Like the, the Gandalf Gandalf style, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I've been watching the movies recently. <laughs> so this is this is beta freeze. So so for instance, when we release the first beta, and so we have a bunch of alpha releases in a month. I think it's six of them. Uh, so so after six alpha releases, so six months of development, we activate the first beta. So the first beta marks the moment where nobody can add new features, like no no changes in API, no new parameters. So, so apart, from that point onwards, it can only be bug fixes and documentation changes. Okay, no, not even like the thought of optimizing no, things. Just bug fixes, right? Okay. So so that's kind of fine. That is okay, right? Like okay. So so any new features go to Python three twelve in this case and optimizations as well. So that that is fine. But like what happens is that there is another stage, in particular, uh, the around the first release candidate. So when we are three months away from the release or two months, well now it's three, but but, but something like that. When when we freeze something called the ABI, so the ABI stands for Application Binary Interface, and uh, this is a fancy name to say that the the shape of the functions and structures in C okay. cannot change. So this is so if you create a binary wheel, uh, so basically a precompiled package, uh, so you don't you don't need to recompile it when we do the final release, right? Because because it's not going to crash. This should be the same. Right. But this is a bit challenging because this puts a bunch of constraints on what you can and cannot do. For instance, you cannot add new parameters to functions in C because that they're public. Because this means that someone calling that function 
will crash because they are passing less parameters, right? Like in Python, you will get a, an, a value error. A, well, it depends on what, what happened. But in, in Python, you will get an error that will tell you, oh, you are passing uh, three parameters, but this function has five. But in C, you will check for like C is not nice about this. It will it will just crash or it will fail to compile. So when this happens, it means that there's a lot of things that you cannot do. But if you have a bunch of bugs and the solution to those bugs involves changing these functions, then, then it's very hard because it means that you need to do the fix in a more complicated way because you cannot use it in the easy way. And that has a problem for the release manager in this case, me, because at that stage, I need to ensure that Python is stable and the way to get the stability is by not changing things, right? And if you, if for fixing a bug, you need to add 3,000 lines of code. I mean, maybe not 3,000, but let's say 200 lines of code. Okay. Then you're introducing more, you're introducing uh, kind of chaos into the system, right? Because now there is these 200 lines of code that are here that before were not here. So how can I know that those those, those 200 lines of code are not introducing weird problems that right. before were not there, right? Making something else. Exactly. Yeah. Like for instance, uh, coverage, the tool like coverage.py, that net but shelter, I think, sorry if I'm pronouncing uh, your name wrong, net, but that net maintains, he suffers a lot from this because sometimes we have introduced fixes that break coverage because it makes coverage not report some lines or something like that. Mm. And he has been very diligently raising issues to see Python every time we break <laughs> break coverage. <laughs> um, so thanks, Ned. You, you're, you're, you're awesome. But, uh, but this is a good example. So as a release manager, I need to do this super complicated decisions in which I, I either need to investigate individually every single change that goes into so I'm happy with the risk that is going to introduce, which makes me have to review everything, which is very hard because look, I, I, I'm a core developer and I know a lot about Python, but I know an expert on all the areas. For instance, I don't know, I am not an expert on AsyncIO and I have to review a bunch of AsyncIO PRs, which forced me to learn things that I have not knew enough so I can take the decisions. Okay, we, we can take this, we cannot take this. And and this is super time consuming, super, super time consuming. It involves a lot. And if this happens quite constantly, not only, this is a very interesting thing. When you have N changes, so a number of changes, right? Let's call that N. The way those N changes can interact between themselves, right. the formula is M times N minus one over two. It's a symmetric amount of combination. It's like if you imagine a matrix, is the elements in the diagonal and above. Uh, this means that if you have n things, the combination grows quadratically, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's in, intuitively you can say, right? Like you have one thing, there is only one way to combine that. If you have two things, okay, there is one and then, you know, one interacting with the other. But if you have three things, now you have one with two, 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 three, and three with one. You have four things, now is one with two, one with three, one with four, two with, et cetera, et cetera, right? So introducing n things it grows quadratically, which means that it's not linear. So so it, it becomes super difficult very quickly. Like the complexity grows extremely fast, and this is very difficult in a release that was already challenging because the amount of things that we were introducing. Now suddenly, I'm in a situation right now when when I have release already release candidate. Yeah. Two, I think. Yes, release candidate two, which is supposed to be just the final release. Like we are supposed to have release candidate two, and the difference between release candidate two and the final release is supposed to only be documentation. 
Like that's it. That's the plan. Yeah. Right. Because that's how you get the stability. Like we know that this works. Don't touch it. And the reason we have I mean, the wiggle room is in case we discover something weird. And we already have two release blockers, which means that we already have two different problems that need to be introduced in release candidate two to fix things that we know they're bro- they're, they're blocked, right? So, so, you know, like at the end of the day, I'm quite sure that we will release Python 3.11 and it will be a great release and hopefully it will be stable. We will discover shortly some problems because that's, that's life. Sure. But... But it, but it's been it's been very challenging, like, especially compared to my previous experience with three ten. Three ten felt like a breeze. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny because you changed from the the parser at that time. Yeah, man, that, that, that was I, I was I was referring to this when I was talking with Gukas and Victor Steiner and some other colleagues in the core development team that I feel, I mean, I, I, it's a bit. It's a bit kind of, I suppose, incorrect that I say this because I was part of the change, the, the people making the change. Right. But, but man, I, I, I felt so proud of that change because it feels like, like changing the parser of, of a language as popular as Python is like doing uh, open heart surgery, right? Sure. Like you need to change it as it's running and like it's such a big piece, like, and it's just the grammar of the language. It's such, it's, it's so easy to get it wrong. Uh, like life actually conspires against you because it's very difficult to prove that two parsers do the same thing. Like there are fundamental te- theorems that will make that you cannot prove that. And and it went almost like unnoticed. Like like the, the amount of bugs that we have re- received are always like, these error messages are a bit weird. More more documentation kind of things. Like. Yeah, or the position of this is a bit like off, or you know, the AST has a location that is a bit weird. But we have never received fundamental now this thing is wrong, mm. right? Or like uh, uh Python is doing something different now. Even even the smallest one. So so I, I was feeling quite proud because that had the potential to be very wrong <laughs> like we we were a bit scared about that yeah 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 it went well yeah it was great it went well, it went yeah. well we were lucky let's say it that way i don't want to say that <laughs> but yeah, yeah well yeah it's interesting like yeah i mean they're they're getting their hands dirty and that affects the whole team you know trying to to like look at ways to speed things up and those seem like really interesting problems and and that right the introduction of those kinds of solutions like who would have thought that you would have had to you know completely alter your testing strategy and and have to develop new sort of techniques to test you know sort of the endurance in different (laughs) stages of things that's very interesting yeah it's hard it's hard it's hard and um oh by the way i want to clarify something like uh, also i don't want to imply that i'm not the only one dealing with this i'm super grateful that the rest of my colleagues in the core development team are helping me a lot. They they react super quickly when there is problems. Uh, they review the PRs uh, for me, so I, I don't need to review all of them. They they are such a fantastic team to work with. I'm super, you know, lucky to have such an amazing colleagues in the core development team. And this without them, obviously, I couldn't do the release, but. Uh, you know, it's hard, but we are all pushing together, and I just want to, you know, take the time to yeah. to be grateful with the full team, 
and all the people working with me. So I don't want to kind of leave the thing in a, in a dramatic note. Like we, in a, <laughs> a, a Spanish people, we are a bit dramatic. We like the right. the drama, right? Like uh, all the telenovelas. <laughs> um, but but I think it's also important to not finish with wow, man, Pablo is is in the <laughs> in a very dark pit. Uh, no, no, no. On the contrary, right. There's there's people with you, <laughs> helping. It's a bit more stressful than normal, but but we are we are there. We are we are super close to have something that I mean we are super proud of three eleven. Uh, we just think that you know, like uh, my like Victor Steiner like to say, uh, you cannot make an omelet without breaking eggs and uh, sometimes dishes and maybe also the restaurant. Yeah, but you know the omelet will be very tasty. <laughs> so so hopefully hopefully we will get there. Hopefully in October as planned. Yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. In fact, it's part of an entire series we've been working on for the past several months based on the RealPython book, Python Basics. This course is titled Python Basics, Strings and String Methods. It's based on another chapter of the Python Basics book by David Amos. And in the course, I'll be your instructor and I'll take you through how to define a string literal, how to index and slice strings, working with user input, how to manipulate strings using string methods, removing white space from the beginning or end of a string, dealing with strings as numbers and vice versa, and you'll get an introduction to f-strings. Like all the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections. Plus, you get additional resources and code examples for the techniques shown. And in the case of many of these basic courses, you'll see additional resources, such as quizzes. And keep an eye out for even more material over the next couple of months. All of our course lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes. Or you can find it using the Enhanced Search tool on realpython.com. I wanted to um, ask you, and you've kind of already alluded to it a bunch, but I wanted to to say like, where do you find the time <laughs> to do all these things? And it, it sounds like Bloomberg's been pretty uh, good with helping you to be able to do some of these things, like you know, work on uh, these projects. Obviously, being part of the infrastructure training that helped you work on M memory, which we talked about last time, right? But also this, your you know, sort of work for Core Python. So, so yeah, also just to clarify, so Bloomberg gives me fifty percent of the time. I spend that time currently mainly to do like work on the faster C Python, but most of my open source work is outside Bloomberg. Just just to clarify that. Okay. Uh, although I'm super grateful that Bloomberg allows me to work part time on, on obviously that is a suits. Right. So there's a lot of additional volunteer time. Right. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a bit stupid because it's just giving me more work, right? <laughs> and like, you know, it's it's it, it's also a bit challenging when when a company gives you time to work on open source because it's not just oh now I have this fifty percent of the time. Technically it's work time, which means that you need to report on that and you know right, right. And, and convince your management that you're doing good work and whatever. Do you use like a time tracking tool for that kind of stuff? No man, I'm a I'm a total chaos. Like okay. uh, don't don't look at me for advice. It's just chaos. <laughs> it's just chaos after okay. chaos after chaos. Right. Like I don't use any organization. I, I, I have a, a to do task list. I use Todoist and I have right. like task and whatnot, but I don't Mm-hmm. I don't organize my time. I just go with the flow. Uh, at the end of the day, I know what I need to do. Like, sure, that's good. 
you know, I need to, do, for instance, for the steering council, okay, I need to fill this or research this pep or, you know, and I do that. I'm quite diligent about doing things in the day. But apart from that, it's kind of like, like I drive my manager crazy because because he wants to say, okay, so what are you going to work this week? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's it just, you know, oh, but, but, you know, tell me, tell me approximately. Like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I planned, but then we are on Friday and I did totally different things or like, you know, because we, we find out that. Right. And, and the same thing for open source, like, uh, it's, I'm, I'm a bit chaotic, to be honest. You have to be flexible, it sounds like, right. you know, for the different things you're doing. I kind of feel the same way often. And I've tried to, you know, use schedulers and use other kinds of things, but they haven't necessarily helped me. And in a lot of ways, they became you know, right. an extra task in themselves. <laughs> it, 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 I think it's, now that you mentioned this, it's important to clarify also that it's not it's not unstructured. So it's chaotic, but not, it's kind of difficult to, to explain the difference, I assume. But it's not like yeah. I don't have any diligence. Like I'm very diligent on like, otherwise I couldn't be able to do things, right? Like it's, No, no, you have to be. But, right. but I don't, I don't, I don't prepare them like in the sense that I don't say, okay, this time I will do this and this time I will do that. And uh, like, it's just, there is there is some emerging property that allows me to be organizing some definition of that, but but it's yeah. not it's certainly not planned or obvious from the you know from the and there is a lot of people that ask me the same question like where I where I how I get the time I, I like to joke that being a physicist uh, especially uh, I specialize <laughs> in, in 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 general relativity I I just I just go fast enough that I I, I do time dilation so it's, it's a, the, yeah it's a yeah, speed yeah. of light we time. have the we have that. the same time but uh, but <laughs> your clock is lower right yeah there you go <laughs> Too funny. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to be honest, uh, maybe I, I, I spend too much time in Python and not enough playing the guitar. Uh, but yeah, well, I was going to ask you, like, when you were on in April, um, right. or was it March or April, you had uh, said one of the things you wanted to learn how to do was sweep picking. Yeah, yeah. And I want to ask you, how's that going? It's Have you going had a chance quite to well. do it? Thank Is you. It? Thank okay. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to report that I can. Uh, I can do it in a way that um, you know the the people that I saw don't don't scream in pain. So now <laughs> now they they nice. look at it and say ah cool. Ah, so it's nice not they're not impressed still by it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah yeah I'm, uh, I'm 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 happy to report that it's going quite well. Oh good, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, I was wondering if you have time that we can ask the the weekly questions. Yeah yeah go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> there's so much you're doing in the world of Python yourself, but. What what are you excited about? Also, that's happening in the world of Python. Well, I'm happy. To, I'm happy that Python 3.11 is <laughs> going to be released in October. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's what I'm happy about. Um, but yeah, I mean, out of the joke, I, I, I'm very excited about 3.11 and and to see you know not only the speed, but there is a bunch of other things like but there are messages and like all the reporting and yeah, the error messages from 3.10 yeah, were amazing. We, we have more of that. More more of that. Uh, we have now all these cool error ranges and tracebacks and whatnot. So I'm super excited to see what people think about it and you know to receive feedback and and because it's, it's a year of work that we have been collectively do, and I cannot I, I really cannot wait to for people to to you know play with it. Um, so so it sounds a bit cheesy, but I'm going to choose three eleven as the answer. That's okay, makes sense. Yeah, cool. 
What's something uh, so what's something else that you want to learn next? <laughs> more <laughs> more sweet picking, I suppose. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I think I think um, uh, w- one thing I want to learn more is uh, I've been I've been playing a lot with I mean this past year and a half uh, I've been with Rust a lot. So I, I already okay. knew the language, but I, I started to build complicated things with Rust. Hmm. Uh, I think the next thing I want to start playing is with um, with Swift. Hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, so, so uh, some 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 friend of mine does this um, macOS apps and whatnot. Okay. And I, I say, okay, I want to do something totally outside what I do normally, but still in a way that I know that I I, I have some chances to actually succeed because I try web development and I I, I just. I cannot do it. <laughs> like I suck. Yeah. All my okay. web page look the same and are super ugly. All right. So I say, okay, let me try to do some some uh, you know macOS apps. So so now I'm I'm starting to learn Swift. What sort of things do you want to build? So I don't know. I really don't have anything in mind. Like I don't have any problem that I want to solve with a macOS app. But I, I I'm going to start probably with a groceries list kind of app. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, enough. Yeah. Like a list and a bunch of checkboxes. Maybe I want to try the the to build something to check the billboards in my Mac. So I don't need to go to the web page, which is absolutely there is no no advantage whatsoever. But you know now it's instead of the browser is a macOS app, yeah. So it will tell me what uh, what uh, billboards are failing, so I can I can be more desperate <laughs> as okay. a risk manager. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm quite excited. It's a it's a different language. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a different ecosystem. It's a different everything. I, I delved into it a little bit. Um, oh really? I, yeah. When I I had worked for Apple, um, not in an engineering role. It was like I was a trainer and uh, I did like internal training and team training for like retail and stuff like that. It was fun. I learned a lot and I was working as a repair technician for a while too. That was fun. So learned how to rip everything apart. Oh, and man, that's super nice. <laughs> remember where all the screws went. <laughs> it was pretty fun. All the secrets, but, all the secret tools. Yeah, exactly. And you, <laughs> I wanted to learn programming and the, you know, it was like, I wanted to make stuff for the iPhone. I was like, this looks really cool oh. and, and, and so forth. But if you work for them, they own everything you work, create. And they were like really right. adamant, even like retail workers. And I'm like, this is kind of lame. So when I left, that was like the first thing I went and did. I'm like, started learning Objective-C and then Swift came out like right then. Right. When I was like kind of starting to dabble into it. And I was like, this is a really interesting language. And, and you know, it was hard to learn because it was really changing a lot. Like they were structurally changing lots of things. Right. So your code would like completely be modified, which was a little painful, I think, for early Swift developers. You know, luckily you could still keep going on the other chains, but right. it's, an, it's an interesting language. And so what is it, what is the first thing that you built? I built something like you said, a checklist like kind a checklist. of thing. Yes. Yeah, totally. The checklist. <laughs> yeah, I, and I built it for the phone and it was kind of fun. And then I, I did a few games, like little really simple games and followed some tutorials and stuff. And nice. Somebody that Wukas had re- had mentioned to the Ray Wunderlich guy, um, his site right. uh, is pretty good. Yeah. So it's an it's interesting language and, and definitely yeah, you know, it's intriguing. Man, I, lo- I, I, I started just a bit. Like, I did one tutorial, but I have to say, I love feeling stupid. Like, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's such an interesting <laughs> feeling. It's like Jesus Christ, man! I don't understand anything. Yeah, like what is this? Yeah, like, yeah. What is this thing? What is what is this ad here? Like, I, I love that sensation. Like Jesus, it's so cool. One of the complaints people have a lot, a lot about Swift itself is like the Apple's own documentation and. I don't know how far you've dug in, but uh, do you feel that like comparatively or? 
I mean, I don't know. It, it, it feels okay. There is a, the feeling right now is that there is a lot of magic. But I suppose, mm. I don't know, there is this, there, there is a bunch of uh, kind of weird, it feels very, not too generic and very integrated with Apple. Now you say, I don't know what it was, but like, pro, no, it's not property, but it's like publish, ad publish. There is yeah. an ad publish or publish or something that you put in an attribute and something happens. I mean, I assume you can say the same with Python decorators. Yeah, but like I, at the time I was like, man, it's such an interesting case because I think like, man, I'm sure people feel the same with Python decorators and, and you know, I've not seen it the same way. Right. But I, I, I was just playing with that. I said like, Jesus, man, like this, this feels like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I, <laughs> I know I need to put this thing here and it will do something, but... Um, you know, and the tutorial guy at the beginning, at that stage of the game, yeah. it tells you kind of like, yeah, believe me, you put this, we will cover it, but you know, <laughs> just I trust know. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I love Too it. Funny. I love it. I really like the sensation of, that's cool. Of like discovering a new world. Yeah. I think that's a common thing. Like people really like to look at other languages and kind of, you know, see what's happening with them. And, and I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I guess there's always been an ongoing thing of like the development of languages and right. borrowing ideas and features. And I think I did the same thing where I like, I'll, I'll look at a language, you know, and, and see these bits that are like, okay, that looks like magic. What is that? <laughs> you know, and then kind of right. like dive, dig into it. And that's where I started doing like my tutorials and stuff like that. That's the stuff I want to talk about and oh, try to no, learn. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Maybe and finally, maybe I can build something that I can show to my brother, and he says, "Actually, oh, that's cool." It's ah. like, like, a memory profile <laughs> it's running is on the phone or on the computer. Yeah, right, yeah exactly. Yeah. You can check yeah, cool. things. Yeah. So, um, how can people follow the work that you do? So, uh, I have uh, my Twitter account. I think is the most typical. I, I tweet a lot about what I'm doing and what we are doing in C Python. It's mostly about Python. So that is. Um, P-Y-B-L-O-G-S-A-L. Pablo Gisal. Well, anyway, search Pablo Galindo in yeah. Python, Google, and it will appear. Oh, I'll keep the link. Ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ma the magic of editing after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, exactly. So, that is the main way. And, you know, I, 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 I try to be as instructive as possible and don't run. So, it's, it's quite friendly. Um, so, you want to follow me there, that's the easy way. And I also have this... Uh, GitHub sponsors page when I sometimes send emails about what I'm doing personally or like what is happening. So if you are generous and, oh, cool. and you want to, I mean, not you, but like any listener as well, but if they want to support me in any way, there will be a way. But in general, if you just want to know what I'm doing, Twitter is, is the easiest. All right. Awesome. Well, Pablo, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been fantastic to talk to you. It's always a pleasure. I'm having such a fun time always. Uh, so super happy to be here. And thank you as always. All right, thanks. And don't forget, test out Platform SH for yourself with our free trial available on our website now. Just search platform.sh in your favorite browser. I want to thank Pablo Galindo Sagato for coming on the show again this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon. <laughs>